0: Hey! Hi! Hello! Welcome to episode thirty-four. That's the right number of Trail Society, brought to you by our friends over at Free Trail. I'm Corinne Malcolm. I'm Keely Henninger,
1: and I'm Hilary Allen. And it is atmospheric rivering
0: deluging outside in uh, both Portland and Seattle. Uh, I think it's it's snowing. It's actively. snowing.
1: It's snowing here. Yeah in boulder uh how
0: is that uh how's the snow affecting kind of final ultra trail cape town hundred mile prep hill
1: uh it's mostly affecting me emotionally and uh (laughs) (laughs) and Yeah. yeah maybe a little bit more stress added to the situation um it's just more problem solving like you know the figuring out a place to run my long run this past weekend um uh all of it was in snow so uh Oh. You know, super specific for that supposed, you know, couple beach stretches that apparently I'm going to be running on. <laughs> so, uh, you know, just to take just trying to adapt and not go crazy. And honestly, snow snow to sand isn't that, that that's Mm-mm. honestly
0: maybe some of the best prep. Yeah, I mean, it's very similar. similar. No. Temperature, not specific.
2: Yeah. Ground feel. No, I know. Get a ground sauna. ground Get feel. Some sauna in. Yep. That's like sauna is good for training adaptation, but also really good for the mind.
1: Yes, totally. I I agree. I think that's something I'm going to be doing, especially this weekend. Uh, yeah, mostly it's going great. It's just you know maybe just some extra freakouts and some some tears. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> like, Hilly
0: having a freakout never
1: never. I, don't I was trying to ever. tell her the hay is
0: almost all
2: in the barn. It basically, is oh, in the barn it, it's, anyway. I don't like, it's like that. Barn. Barn.
1: Almost all basically, it's basically
0: <laughs> well, in the barn.
2: You have like what at, one at more long. Point, hand, it's like you're fine. The, you're, yeah. you're not getting any benefits from it. You're getting a lot of mental benefits yeah, from it. And you're getting exactly. muscular stimulation. You're not getting any fitness at this point.
1: No, yeah, exactly. You're trying to get
2: to the start line healthy at this <laughs> point.
0: Yep. So let us mm-hmm. talk you off whatever ledge cliff mountainside you find yourself on right now.
1: Thanks right now. It's a sledding hill. Ha ha. Okay. <laughs> uh Keely, I feel
0: like your training is looking pretty like I don't want to say normal because that's I don't know, not a loaded term, but it's what is normal. Um my normal is very different right now, but it seems like training's going really well. And I'm just kind of wondering if that's got 2023 gears turning at all.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm finally running consistent back-to-back mileage weeks, which is really fun. And some workouts, which is nice and very humbling. It's like the roller coaster coming back to fitness where you like have some workouts where you're like all right i haven't lost anything i'm a crusher and then you have some other workouts you're like and i'm really out of shape and don't know what's going on <laughs> so uh, it's kind of a whirlwind but i feel like yeah i definitely uh i am signing up hopefully very soon for black canyons 100k so. heck
0: yeah i'm hoping to be Woo-hoo. out there to either crew some folks and or to maybe maybe run the 60k I don't know if I'm actually going to be in a place where that is feasible Mm -hmm. at that point. I would really like it if it was, but that's, you know, I went for a run today. I'm up to 30 minutes. It's still broken up into chunks, but I like, I ran 30 minutes today in three minute intervals. And like on the last one, I was like, Oh, that's my adductor. Mm -hmm. Stop it. And it's like, feels totally fine walking. I can like get on my like horrible bike trainer that I love so much and like sweat out intervals and that feels fine. But yeah, I'm like, I just, Mm -hmm. I like just texted my PT being like, hi, tell me I'm fine. So tis the injured life, right?
2: Well, yeah. And it's like so hard to know at this point, because when you're coming back from an injury that you've had multiple times of a very similar region, it's so easy to be like, oh my God, I feel this. I feel this here. I feel this here. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, sometimes it is valid, but sometimes it's also probably a little bit exacerbated, you know, and it's not really there as, as much as you feel it is, but like you're running by yourself and you're doing something new and you don't quite trust yourself yet. And all of a sudden you're like, this is real. It's so bad. And it's like, maybe it's not just yeah. talk to your PT, <laughs> give, get some other opinions.
0: <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So not freaking out yet, but I'm going to, I'm going to, instead of running on what's it Today's Thursday. Instead of running on Saturday, I'll try for another little run on Sunday, type of thing. Nice. So just give myself an extra twenty-four hours of yeah. chill. No, yeah, that's and you all can what still,
1: it's about. Yeah, right. Shifting. And you can
2: still be trajectory up. You know, just might be a little bit of this along the
0: way. Yeah, I hate the non-linear nonsense, but <laughs> always very, what it is. That's the, yeah. literally the can't can't one. Cons- fight it.
1: The consistent always thing true. about any injury is it's all it's it's not linear. It's always just like this. It's always yeah. a roller coaster. Yeah, mm-hmm. join
0: join our roller coaster, guys. If you're listening to this, if you're watching this join our roller coaster um before we jump into some results and we're not going to cover everything but we're going to cover some cool things um we have to give a big shout out to athletic greens i've really enjoyed getting to use them kind of like our throughout the back half of this year um and it's actually been really cool diving in more to some of the other stuff they have been doing, you know, they're not only are they safe for sports certified, but they um, are actually climate neutral certified as well. Meaning that with every AG purchase, they also purchase carbon credits and support projects protecting old growth rainforest, which is a really, really big deal right now. And then additionally for every purchase, they donate to organizations helping to get nutritious food to kids in need, including no kid hungry here in the U S so those dollars not only purchase that delicious AG, or maybe not so delicious, depending on kind of like what your lawn clippings taste like, maybe, um, you know, it, the money is going to a good place as well. So if you would like to try athletic greens, you want to give it a try. You can get a free one-year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash trail society. Again, that's over at over at athleticgreens.com slash trail society to take ownership over your health and pick up an ultimate daily nutritional insurance bit of powder today.
2: Her loved one companies we work with also stand for other good causes. Great.
0: It makes me feel good. Um, for (laughs) sure. Uh, I guess I put news first, let's do news and then we'll do results. Let's do it. Sounds great. Okay. News pretty light this week. I'm sure something will come out between when we're recording this on uh Thursday and when this comes out next week, but, um, Ironman, uh 70.3 champs happened recently in St. George, Utah. Um, I kind of got, got the heads up that the live broadcast was free in the middle of the women's race. Um, it was free on outside TV, which was really, really cool. And interestingly, something that they did here, they also did at Kona this year in which the men and women, raced on different days, which meant that the live coverage was dedicated to each field, right? I.e., they weren't trying to find the women's race while the men's race was going on and vice versa. So it was really cool that like when you like signed on to watch the feed of the event, it wasn't cutting to, I mean, there was cutting to commercials because that's how free, free broadcasts have to happen. But they weren't, you know, we didn't lose the women's race in the men's race. And I really, really enjoyed that. I thought that was really cool. And then I guess yeah, I I the,
1: uh, about that. I know was I that, didn't watch it.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was cool. It was really, really cool. I actually didn't watch the men's race because that was on Saturday and I was doing other things versus I got to watch it while I worked on Friday. Um, other really cool thing that happened at 70.3 championships in St. George was the first, um, Afghan woman, um, competed at 70.3 world champs for the first time ever. Um, her name is Zanab Razazi. And at just 27 years old became the first Afghan woman to race in the championship field. Um, she finished finished with just one minute spare in eight, 28 57, you know, in comparison to the women's winner of the race ran, I think just over four or ran bike and swam just over four hours. Um, but really, really cool to kind of see this historic feat happen at the championships. Um, and as part of her training and racing efforts, she's been raising money for She Can Try, which makes sure that more women and girls can follow in her footsteps. Um, it was a really, really cool story, and I um, appreciated that coming through um, in one of my email newsletters this past week. And then I think the other bit of news before we dive into results was um, more kind of stuff coming out of women's soccer. I was at a at um, at a pub that last night, the other night, watching uh, the Phillies play with, with one of our friends. And we were like, okay, which Seattle women's sports events are we going to go see this next year? Okay. We're going to go see the Seattle storm. Okay. We're going to go see the only rain. Like, how are we going to make this happen? And, um, kind of in that same vein, women's soccer, um, FIFA just put out a kind of, um, bit of information about kind of the advancements within particularly, I guess, sponsorship of women's leagues and women's events. Over the past year, and so basically, the, the the data that came out of it said that um, women's leagues title sponsorships went up. I.e., how like if a women's league had a title sponsorship, they got they got counted in this, and then the past year that went up eleven percent. So now seventy seven percent of all women's professional soccer leagues have a title sponsor. So that's grown. Mm-hmm. Additionally, um, broadcast revenue and securing broadcast revenue grew. Um, from nine to 10 leagues. So another, another league was able to, to secure, um, having broadcast of their events. And then they also, um, showed in this most recent report that revenue growth is happening in the sport with 7% of clubs gem- generating more than 1 million from match day broadcast, commercial and prize money sources. So mm-hmm. women's soccer on the up and up, there was another stat that just came out Ooh. actually tickets for 2023, world cup play has gone on sale and they like miss they like didn't understand the demand for the women's women's tickets like Hmm. tickets for the women's world cup and they like totally botched it it sounds like so it'll be interesting to see how they get that gets cleared up but it was like a kind of like a oh duh like people want to go watch this thing and uh, it sounds like they might have messed up um ticket allocation for for the upcoming i think it's 2023 for the women's world Cup.
2: Yeah and this kind of reminds me of a conversation i had this week about the sports like the sports um retail market in general and how a lot of big companies over the past like you know half of a decade so about the past like 5 years have really targeted women started targeting female athletes a lot um because they realize like women have a ton of spending power when it comes to like households as well and so i wonder you know as companies are willing to start promoting more and more female sports and more and more female sports are getting more airtime and all this stuff. Like if, if it's like a non-linear increase, because like the p- spending power already is in the hands of the women. And I wonder if like that will help expedite this even more than it would be otherwise. I don't know. Just a thought That's I super had. Super interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's someone, some economist is going to run, run the numbers on that one for us. And, uh, <laughs> Please do get back to me because I don't know what I'm talking about, but
1: <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think you're sense. totally on the right track. I mean, it's uh, that's definitely it. I think like women also like they shop more too, mm-hmm. like traditionally. So it's like, and culturally, I guess, it's especially in the United States. So um, well, I think absolutely. that's why like
0: those those NI like those N I L name uh image likeness uh sponsorships are doing so much better in women's NCAA sports mm-hmm. than in men's uh NCAA sports for that region. Uh I think Air Jordan, the brand, uh just signed like an 18 or 19 year old to an NIL contract, which is a huge, like apparently a very, very big deal. Um, I think it's their first NIL um, sponsorship under, under like that brand title. Um, There was someone, there was another one too, like just when I feel like the news coming out of women's sports as, as far as like companies tagging, um, Professional athletes in tennis and soccer and in collegiate sports, as kind of their the the face and name of their brand is is on the rise, and that is incredibly cool to see. Come on, trail and ultra running. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're, getting we're getting there. Okay, so we got some results before we dive into the meat and potatoes of the show today. There's kind of we are recording this. I guess this is the first thing I'll say is that we're recording this ahead of World Mountain and Trail Running Championships. Okay, that is that is we are this is Thursday. Those kick off on Friday. There's going to be a ton of cool results. We are cheering our faces off over here stateside. Mm -hmm. Um, Leah Yingling's husband, Mike, has been feeding me photos for free trail. It's been really, really fun to get those up online. Um, Mm -hmm. It's the inaugural event of them combining kind of trail and mountain world champs all together. It's so cool. And actually... um, Today, the interview that you're going to hear in a little bit is with one of the Team USA um, athletes, Adam Mary. So we'll, we'll touch more on that in a little bit, but we just want to let you guys know that we are recording this ahead of those races taking place this weekend. So go Team USA. We're mm-hmm. cheering for you. Super, super loud. But what happened most recently, I guess was, I guess, Golden Trail World Series finals in Madeira and then Havelina 100. I feel like are the two big ones that were just like in my face really cool races, really cool results.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there are obviously some other ones, but yeah, I feel like these ones take the cake, mm-hmm. the golden trail world series being, you know, a five day stage race to finish, which is pretty cool.
1: Yeah. it was. Um, a cool but format. I'm so
2: confused of the format. <laughs> I feel like a lot of, obviously Ninké crushed it and won the majority of the stages, but clearly like the stages towards that end were not weighted as heavily as the races in the series.
0: Yeah. So, right. so Ninka N- N- um, Brinkman won many of the golden trail world series kind of summer races. Um, but then the five day stage race was kind of a comp. like there were points awarded over the course of the five day stage race that then would get added to your best three results from the summer. Mm-hmm. And so Ninka and Remy came in with like a buttload of points, mm-hmm. just all the points possible, I think, um, because, you know, they, I mean, Remy ran away with the five-day series as well. I think he won four or five stages. He mm-hmm. didn't win like the six-k flat stage, and that was it. Um, uh, versus on the women's side, I feel like there was a lot more mixing, mixing it up. Allie Mac was really like the, the, it was the Allie Mac show. I think she she, uh, she won landed. two out of the five, right? Yeah, despite landing like well, and she didn't start one of the stages, which is like another confusing yeah. part of this five-day stage race. Where you didn't know, every stage.
1: So, I mean, to give a bit of background too, so Greg Vallee, so one of the, the Solomon, um, athlete managers, he comes from a background of professional cycling. Um, and so I think for this five day stage race, um, and final, he kind of mimics some of the, the, the things that you see from cycling in, in this, the, the final itself And even to back up even further, this whole series is kind of comes off of the Sky Running World series, which is still existing. But the Golden Trails has like a little bit more oomph now because it's some different distances from Mm. short distances all the way up to... you know, ultras, right? And so you have these different series, these races that have been kind of t- like starred as some of the golden trail running series races that qualify you for the finals. So once you reach the finals with all your points, then you can get, then basically in this final stage race, there's five races, but you only have to compete in three of them. And in each stage race, there's actually an award given for fastest downhiller, fastest climber, and then the winner of the race. So you get different points and a sprint. from that. There's like a sprint segment yeah. in the race too. Like exactly. Exactly.
0: There's money on the line for all of it. And then the top 10 get paid out pretty well at the end of it. So if maybe you didn't have, maybe you only raised two instead of three races during the summer, like Mm -hmm. you're going to come in a little bit behind, but you can move up into the top five Mm -hmm. during this versus coming in and trying to hold on or maintain that spot. Mm -hmm. Um, And this
1: all comes from like the cycling thing with like, even during the stages, right? Like you can, we've had this in the gravel cycling too. I'm sure like Steven can, Stephen your, your husband, Corinne can like uh, corroborate this too, but there's different, like literally you can win a crown. Like this is also in speed go. Yeah. We call them
0: preems. You can win
1: win money for winning a certain, segment now you can kind of run that risk if you want to win that segment if you think you're good at it versus the whole race but they're still awarded points yeah, it's for like all the of king, king
0: of the mountain right yeah in, in the tour i think <laughs> is kind of what people will most most relate to got it um, so
2: for like for example ninka came in having crushed three of the golden trail series races previously mm-hmm. in the summer so she came in with a ton of points yep. and so you know while she still needed to do well during those stage races it wasn't as important to her for her but Ali matt came in with not very many points yeah. And exactly. rallied her way into the top 10 basically mm-hmm. through this this um series final, yep. basically. Because yep. Ally Mack ended up hanging on to ninth, which is sweet. Sophia Lockley was another US gal top got second. And then yeah, because Bay she Qualcic crushed was fifth. she
0: crushed some series races too, right? Mm-hmm. Like it was exactly mm-hmm. so so cool. So yeah, very, a, very I like cool this series format. format. It's cool. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. It's kind of it's kind of bonkers. And there's some actually, if you don't follow yet, Matt Walsh's newsletter. Is it called trail mix or something of that nature? He, he really looked at the media side of the sport and his last, his, his post this past week that came out was all about the golden trail world series. And it was super interesting kind of looking at historically how, it, how it came about and actually the kind of the bridge there with, with sky running and actually how brands had signed on for golden trail world series. But then there was a conflict with the sky running world series and right. brands were worried that if they left for golden trail, it would screw up their relation like pre-existing relationships with these sky running races. And a lot of them were already in three-year contracts with specific sky running races. Mm -hmm. And so it ended up being, that is part of the reason why Solomon is like the primary sponsor and the Mm -hmm. primary pusher of the golden trail world series is because like brands had come on and then kind of panicked due to like pre-existing relationships within the sky running world.
1: Right. And I mean, there has been conflicts. I mean, Transparent, Like definitely there were contracts where now, I mean, you see the popularity of the sky running races, not as much because traditionally a lot of the Solomon top athletes in Europe, especially where there's a lot of Solomon team presence would go to the sky running races for the VK. Like that's how Remy Bonet got really his start was in, you was in the sky running world series. He oh, would 100%. win the, the VK world series. And then, so Greg Ville, I think had that idea, but then he wanted a little bit more control over it, I think from his athletes. So that's why you see a lot of the Solomon athletes targeting the golden trailer series as opposed to sky running series now.
0: Yeah. That, that sponsorship conversation is super interesting. And this is something we should deep dive into one day, but it's like, you know, why aren't, why aren't more of the best athletes at trail worlds? Like, cause like, if we look at like, hmm. you know, why isn't, you know, Jim Walmsley there. Why isn't Killian there? Why isn't Courtney there, et cetera. And, and some of that comes down to brand pressure, right? Mm-hmm. Like because it's under the national governing bodies of USA track and field or, you know, uh, or whatever country you run from, it mostly falls under like the IAAF. Mm-hmm. And so it's like your brands are like, well, you're going to go run in Nike apparel at a race that maybe not on our, on our bucket list mm-hmm. for the season. Yeah. And so there well, are and also a lot of pressures there
1: but there's also not that much funding. I mean, Mm -hmm. for athletes to actually get there for, from, from the, from USA, you know, USATF. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, USATF. Mm -hmm. Exactly. There's not that much money to get. And I don't think this is,
0: this
2: isn't unique to trail running either. Like I think for a while track and field athletes and marathon athletes didn't necessarily choose to try to get on team USA for certain world events either
0: because of that. Yeah. Because it's Mm -hmm. a lot. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, and and most of the funding that they do get goes to like paying for that ticket because like, they're not easy places to get to oftentimes. Um, And if they can allocate a thousand dollars or $1,500, you're going to eat that up with your travel budget pretty easily. Maybe
1: we should talk to Joe Gray about this. He's been on many teams. Yeah. He can tell us all about (laughs)
0: it, but yeah, but that's also a reason why I think I brought it up when we talked about the team naming, like why Max King hasn't been on some of these teams because the the focus with solomon was not on worlds in a, in a pretty like strong way. and yeah. so i think it's it'll be interesting but still cool to keep keep an eye on. the other big race that happened that i think all of us are so freaking excited about was havelina 100 um out outside of phoenix uh Ooh. golden ticket race on us soil. um really good racing too. Mm-hmm. like really really awesome races. good live coverage, good live broadcast. Um, and a lot of our friends were racing. And I think the text I've sent to so many people is like, what a perfect, like what, what a great, like four golden tickets to be given out. Like it gave <laughs> me all the warm, fuzzy feelings. <laughs> so yeah. Da- yeah, Dakota Jones, Jonathan Raya the men's race took first and second, took the golden tickets. Um, Dakota's got his entry to Western States, broke the course record, ran 12.58. So cool. mm-hmm. Right. Like.
1: And I moment. loved reading his posts. It's like, it, like running that fast right he didn't he he was running this fast he didn't know if it was sustainable and then like he actually like felt good the last lap and it is so cool it was and cool i know
0: because he and john like were like going kind back of and like...
1: forth and john caught him on this like the like basically the fourth lap and so then in the fifth i think he left the aid station before him and then um dakota kind of like put down the hammer but mm. actually i'm going to well, I mean, this is going to be published after the fact. I'm literally after this going to a surprise dinner party for John. He thinks he's just meeting me and his wife, <laughs> but it's going to be a bunch of people there. Yeah. We're yeah. excited because um, I run with John. He's my training partner on his easy days.
0: <laughs> yeah. He's that guy is so, 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 so fit and fast. It's kind of yeah. wild. Um, that, yeah. Was that and, his
2: first 100 mile? No. no. No, mm-hmm. he ran he, Western. He got a golden okay. ticket to Western last I year. Why I
0: don't know who this person is. He was <laughs> a, a dark horse um, favorite. He got the course
1: record at Bandera like this okay. year. That's how he got cool. into, oh, sorry, Quad Rock. Also, he raced Drew Holman. Um yeah, he, he finished as the How of Drew yeah. in that race. Yeah, he, okay. he races
0: predominantly in Colorado. Western States was uh, kind of one of his, Bandera and Western States were kind of like his push outside of there. He works in the environmental sector and cool. was like, why would I travel out of state when I can race here. Mm-hmm. Um, but he told me after Western States, I like had to find him a pacer because all of his pacers like either weren't fit enough to pace him or like had mm-hmm. other things come up. And so Elon Liebner in the Bay Area like jumped mm-hmm. in to pace nice. him and paced him for like 30 miles or something. Um <laughs> did he finish Western States? He did. He, he finished did. in 14th. He, Got he was in the top 10 fighting for top five. Um, leaving kind of green gate area and just was mm-hmm. like overheating in a bad mm-hmm. in a bad way kind of on cal street mm-hmm. and and just you know finished finished strong but not, yeah. not i mean this western day.
2: states is such a learning race it makes mm-hmm. total sense so his little cousin
1: though was like
0: we're going back to Western States next year. Right. And he's like, I guess we're going back to Western
1: States because he's originally from California. So his family Mm, was able to go for there, but yeah. So like John, I mean, it's been cool to like, I've been training with him for for a couple of years now because we have the same coach, Adam and um, yeah, it's been cool to see the hard work pay off. But then also on the women's side, Holy crap. I was so excited to see Devin (laughs) win
2: Oh gosh, she won, she, she ran it. such a New master's race wet
0: record too. I know. Oh my oh gosh. My yeah. She ran so patient. Goodness. All day. Mm-hmm. So patient, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and with the recent, like kind of the up and down health stuff this whole summer, like her kind of Devon Yanko DIY slam falling apart mm-hmm. and officially getting a lupus diagnosis. Cause like I had known previously that she had been given a, like a latent lupus diagnosis and that was actually mm-hmm. like a misdiagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's been dealing with this for a long right. time, but not really knowing what mm-hmm. it was. Um, kind of these like health flares and stressful situation, like in stressful moments of time have like definitely been, been all, probably all linked to this loop, like to lupus that she's had this whole time. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think mentally she just went in being like, you know what, I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to do my own race. And like, it paid off in a big way. Like Heather Jackson went hard (laughs) off the front in her first ever hundred mile race. And that ran, ran a great hundred, like ran Mm -hmm. faster than I've ever run before. Um, but ultimately I think finished fifth maybe um we'll see her get a golden ticket at some point I am certain but yeah huge 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 shout out to Devin Yanko Mm -hmm. second fastest time ever on the course broke her previous Mm times So she PR'd her old course record got broke by Camille Heron last year Devin ran faster than her old course record and I got and got the master's course record Mm -hmm. like just so cool
1: yeah
0: heck yeah Mm -hmm. second place oops
1: sorry (laughs) I want to
0: swear a lot I want to say all the f of bombs right now Well, a French though.
1: toast. That's what I yeah. say.
0: <laughs> um, but second place, super cool story. Someone that we're actually going to talk to on the podcast in not too long. Um, Riley Brady, second place ran also a super smart race and like closed really hard actually. in like the last mm-hmm. lap and a half, um, non-binary athlete lives on the East coast, um, crude and paste Ellie Pell at Western States last year, that's where I met them. Um, We'd reached out to Riley to do an interview with them ahead of Havelina, didn't quite work out with timing. And I was texting Ellie while they were racing, being like, Ellie, we're gonna have to get in line. Like Riley's gonna be a hot commodity, but we're really, really um, looking forward to getting to have a conversation with them and just think it's really cool. Um, The race that Mm -hmm. threw down was brilliant. And I think it's amazing that we've got some non-binary representation going into Western States.
2: Yeah. And, um, one thing that I got put on my radar the other day, I was talking to Ryan Montgomery, who we had on last week's episode. If you guys hadn't heard that one, check that one out, but he brought up the fact that he had talked to Riley and heard from, um, either them or someone else that some of the other ladies in the race were unaware that Riley was in the female category and so he, th- he said it was like just highlighting another issue that, you know, Havelina did offer this non-binary category, but they didn't necessarily, you know, make it clear right away that the person could still be in their gender.
0: Yeah. And so actually Javelina Havel- so, has come, come out and said, like, Riley reached out to us ahead of time. You can like Riley reached out to Havelina in advance and said, mm-hmm. hi, on ultra up, I can choose, I can elect my gender. I am non-binary. I've elected that I'm non-binary, but I want to be in Mm -hmm. contention for a golden ticket in the women's field for this race. And then it sounds like the tracker couldn't figure like the tracking and timing Mm -hmm. system couldn't differentiate those two things. Mm -hmm. And so they were listed in the non-binary category. It's not that they changed genders in the middle of the race, um, that they should have been in that category the entire time. (laughs) Totally. Um, So
2: just another little boo-boo, but
0: Yeah. No races are learning. We're learning. Mm -hmm. The commentators were learning as the race was happening in real time. Um, but yeah, super like I'm, I'm thrilled, super excited. Rest of the women's field ran, ran really superb races. Good to see, um, Nicole bitter and Casey Lichtig run really solid races, finishing, um, third and fourth. Um, in their races, Heather Jackson again finishing fifth. Like I think a lot of the top ten women's field ran some of the top mm-hmm. ten fastest times in history. I think they were top five or something. Like they were close to the top five topest times or something.
2: Yeah, something crazy. Very, yeah, very very solid. And then
0: 100K <laughs> race happened. Both um, both actually um, Scott Treyer and Lottie Brinks set the 100K course records during the weekend. Lottie Brinks broke Courtney Walter's 2016 100K course record. It's hmm. pretty sweet. That's fast. Mm-hmm. And finished second overall. Um, so yeah. that was the only person that that beat um, Lottie in that race, which is pretty <laughs> cool. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And then old Pacific Northwestern, Sarah Astowalski um, was third. So it was like first place was a guy, second and third were
0: ladies. Heck yeah. So and then cool. UTMB <laughs> Mexico and Puerto Verde happened um, as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know what Billy, you there. were about to
1: raise that. <laughs> All I can say is I dodged a major bullet and oh fingers man. everything is crossed that the whole trail tr- tr- Cape Town isn't like that.
0: Inaugural races, man. They yeah. are loose. Not sounded, always.
1: Not it's, always.
0: Here's the thing. Like, it'd be one thing. Like, I've heard mixed reviews from the races in Mexico. Some people who were super upset by what mm-hmm. happened out there. Some people who were like super into how hard it was. A little mm-hmm. bit of both. It's like, and races can be hard. I am all about that, but it's like, you got to know going in what you're getting yourself into. And that seems to be the big limiting factor here. Like there was route, like route finding, bushwhacking, mm-hmm. like people were getting off course. There were aid station issues. There were crewing right. issues. There I were. I think
1: it's it like, scary. speaks to like safety, right? Yeah. Like things, right. Like it's it's fine if there's a little bit of like disorganization with the first time event, like to be expected, right? You're learning, but I agree. Mm-hmm. If it's like maybe a safety issue, Seems, seems not cool. My friend, Anthony, uh, who, oh, yeah, he, Anthony Lee, he, he, yeah, Anthony Lee, he got fourth. He was yes, like so wrecked. Race. I saw a picture of him like getting wheeled by like the luggage cart into his room after the races. He was so mm. wrecked, but you know, it took him 26 hours to do well, the, it, the, and he the, was it. Like the winning women's time 36. Was,
0: yeah. 36 hours or something like that. Yeah. Brutal. Wow.
1: I know. And Kat Bradley was second with t- 37, 15, yeah. and sounds you know like she, she said she off got off course, course, course yeah. but like i think I mean, a lot of, i think everyone sounds like they did anthony said he saw a jaguar wow. out there i don't know <laughs> i mean yeah crazy
2: well yeah i mean i guess we've heard of some of the bad it stories um but let's hear about the good ones too so send yeah, us if you, some if you ran if you it you actually had a really good time
0: could have been yeah, I, I think the vacation aspect pre and post race was pretty like deluxe <laughs> from folks that are still like I a friend who's like not yet back yet because they're just vacationing after the race. And I'm there like, okay, that sounds delightful. Like a little mm-hmm. like it's rainy in the PNW, go to Mexico for another week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I oh, wish yeah. I was there. Yeah. I know
1: at the surprise party for John, Anthony's gonna be there. I'm gonna get the full recap. So oh, next yeah. episode, we'll get some insider.
0: <laughs> okay. So a record we dive. Him. Before we dive into the meat and potatoes, we got to give a shout out to the feed again. um, Thank you all for buying waffles. Not that like (laughs) waffles is supposed to be the specific plug going on here, but I keep getting tagged (laughs) in Instagram stories of of waffle purchases. So I'm influencing someone or something anyway, but um, you too can go and put together a, a snack box. You can get, you know, 800 gels in a specific flavor. You can buy recovery equipment, whatever you want, and you can get $15. In-store credit for your first order if you go to thefeed.com/trail society. There again, you can cl- you can claim or climb, I guess, a free fifteen dollars to spend on whatever you would like. Did anyone try anything new with this last this last month's box? Anything new and exciting? Are we still like Joji bars and waffles for forever?
1: I mean, all of that stuff for forever. I'm actually trying some new stuff just because, um, well, specifically for electrolytes, because it's going to be a lot. It's going to be hot in my in my mm-hmm. race in, in Cape Town, or the potential to be. So I'm trying uh, Humagel Plus. Um, it has some extra electrolytes in there. Um, they've got some cool flavors. Um, strawberry lemonade and pomegranate berry. Some really good ones. Guys, nice. don't buy my pomegranate berry. It's like literally out of stock. And I, I think I got the last one. Oh, uh so <laughs> uh yeah. Yeah. And if
0: you find you really like something specific like me and you're just on the waffle train for life, um, you can order, you can like put together a subscription box where once mm-hmm. uh, like once every, every two weeks, every month, you can get sent this thing with with your specific snacks. Maybe it's humo electrolyte. Gel mm-hmm. added, you know, <laughs> added to gels, or you know, it's mm-hmm. it's whatever, but
1: um, you can do that too. So, I, li- I like the options there to play mm-hmm. with that gives a discount
2: if you make it monthly. Right.
1: Totally. The other one I really like, um, that I've been trying is Endurance Tap, it's a new brand that they just brought on, and it's uh, from Canada. It's uh, basically just like Maple syrup,
0: mm, maple syrup shots for and the and one has caffeine in it. And maple syrup shots. I think oh, this is the it's winning. It's
1: perfect. That's what you need for your waffles. You need some syrup before. And there's one with caffeine in it. Oh my god, it's perfect. It's Caffeinated perfect.
0: maple syrup is next level. Okay, we got to go to the meat and potatoes, though. We'll talk about waffles another time. You know we will. Okay. <laughs> if you haven't listened to our interview with Ryan Montgomery yet, I suggest you go do it. But today we are bringing you another interview as kind of part of our diversity, equity, inclusion series of sorts. We'll see how long we can keep this going. Maybe forever, maybe, maybe forever and ever. But our next guest is Adam Mary. Adam Mary is an elite multiracial trail runner um, and lifelong athlete. He started trail running in 2017 and has since raced its distances on the road and trail up to hundred K He's on the ADK Worlds team right now. He's based in Golden, Colorado, um, but is originally from Monterey, California, and we get to hear a little bit more about his childhood there. Adam currently coaches athletes and uses his background in diversity, equity, and inclusion to help bring light to some of the issues within the trail and ultra running community and industry. But we're going to let Adam explain all that in his own words and dive into the interview.
3: My name is Adam Mary. I'm a professional trail runner based in Boulder, Colorado. I live here with my wife and four pets, um, and I like to cook for one of my hobbies. Growing up in California was uh, a really awesome experience for me um, throughout my childhood and kind of early adulthood. Um, I grew up in Monterey, California, which is Central Coast, and it's kind of a melting pot. Like, There's all different types of diversity of all kinds, like sports interest, recreation interests, um, diving is a big thing there, like scuba diving and stuff and, um, ocean conservation, but there's, you know, a rich, um, sporting culture in California. There's so much density of competition. So that was like a really fun aspect of growing up, uh, co- competing in sports. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess the one, one big difference that, uh, I don't really miss so much is there's no, there's not really distinct seasons in central coast, California. So it's kind of like temperate all the time, like 50 to 65. So the good thing I guess was I was able to like recreate outside, like pretty much all year. And so you can play team sports all year. You can, you know, if you're into like skateboarding or, you know, doing stuff like that, like you can do that all year round, which, um, I don't know. I found really fun. I, (laughs) I definitely think, um, I pulled, uh, in the in the directions I was interested in from a sporting and athletic context. Um, both of my parents were always like really supportive of kind of whatever I was interested in, be it, you know, athletics related or not. Um, and so I really had a lot of like freedom, uh, growing up to pursue whatever sports I was interested in at the time. So I kind of did like everything, you know, like I was on like a travel competitive soccer team. I, was in the Bronco World Series for baseball like I was like that into these different things and then I'd like kind of switch and be into a different thing like in high school I was really into football um and I played in college as well I uh did, had a little like brief foray into competitive uh track and field in middle school that was like very painful and then I was <laughs> kind of up out of that after one season um and then I I got back into it in high school um on our high school track and field team but yeah I I feel really lucky that my parents, uh, didn't really have an agenda for me as to like what they wanted me to pursue athletically. It was really up to me. And I do feel like having that diverse, like athletic background, and I know it's different for everyone. And this could, this is probably also like largely genetic for me, but you know, I didn't like weightlift super early in my childhood. And I had all these different kinds of like, functional movement, like strengthening, uh, things that I would do in different activities. And so I'm like very durable. It's one of my kind of like superpowers as a trail runner now is like, I don't get injured ever, you know, like, uh, in terms of like a overuse injury or, or a bone density thing or anything like that. So of course I roll my ankles like everybody else now and then, but, uh, I think (laughs) that diverse sporting background early in my childhood, like helped set me up for, for that in terms of like why I chose, um, the sports that I did growing up or kind of where I gravitated. Um, I think there probably is definitely an intersection with race there for me. Like I grew Monterey, California is like a fairly diverse, but definitely like predominantly white community. Um, and same thing for the high school I went to Stevenson school, it was predominantly white and very, very minority black. But, um, I, you know, I was always like, because of that, like, you know, kind of a uh, well-rounded athlete background in my childhood. When I got to like, um, middle school and high school, I had been jumping and running so much in my childhood that I was just naturally like, you know, good at jumping high and sprinting and and that kind of stuff. And so I naturally gravitated toward basketball. I used to be really into that, um, football track and i think too there's like this um probably uh subconscious um narrative or like you know cultural norming at least within like black households of like what sports are kind of um normal or like um for us for lack of a better word and so those are all like examples you know football track basketball and so i oh i guess part of it too is like what i I loved watching sports as well growing up. And, you know, like a lot of the athletes in in those sports are black. And so, um, yeah, like I, what I excelled in those sports, I saw myself represented on TV for those sports. And so I think that was all part of it being multiracial. It's super weird because, uh, I never felt like I could, I really belonged in either the white or the black community. It's, always been something to be honest that i've like struggled with and has been much more alienating and painful than you might expect like uh when you have a more um homogenous racial identity you despite any kind of like um systems of oppression you might encounter or um difficulties you might face because of your lack of racial privilege you are part of a group you know like so if you're black you you have that black community if you're asian you have that community uh and so on and so forth same for for white folks i actually was reflecting on this recently um there were some really key figures in my schooling um that were part of like the administrative staff um particularly like one black woman who just it's funny like i always felt like she understood me and we were like friends and she like looked out for me for some reason, but you know, reflecting on it as an adult, it's like, man, she really like saw that I was one of the only like black kids at the school and like went out of her way to make herself a resource for me. I always took it for granted as a child, but looking back on it, like I was so lucky to have that at Stevenson school. One of the premier like sporting activities are like golf and water polo. And those were like First of all, for golf, like, you know, golfing is like pretty expensive, you know, not unlike trail running to a certain extent. It's like, Oh, all you need is like a set of clubs and you can, but it's like, yeah, but, but not really, you know, there's like, what about golf lessons? Cause like almost everyone kind of sucks when they first start. And so I like, didn't have access to those kinds of things. Like it's really expensive to, to have that as a child. And I just never did. And so, uh, and I certainly didn't see myself represented on those teams. Like they're pretty much all white or asian on the golf teams um and same with water polo and so that uh yeah i just didn't like gravitate toward those cuz it was like i don't have the foundation to even like you know show up and be decent uh, i think that the kind of fundamental like interest in trail running and being like deep in nature was um something that i started to like kind of interact with early on in my childhood um, I was in Boy Scouts. Uh, and so I was like, all the way from I think, like Tiger Cub is like the earliest, you know, version of that. And so, from a very young age, I was like hiking and backpacking and going on camping trips. I was really lucky that the Boy Scout troop I was a part of was like super diverse. So, like, um lots of multiracial kids, black kids, um the Scout masters were even like mixed race. And so, I don't know that that was a con because I got to choose like the scout troop I joined. There was like several that I could choose from, and I just like gravitated toward that one for one reason or another. And so, um, I guess I felt, um, more a part of that community because we would get out and do like badass stuff. Like we would, you know, did this 10 day backpacking trip through New Mexico and at Philmont Scout Ranch and like all this stuff. But we were, uh, the scout troop I was a part of was kind of like, we normed like that we showed up as we were and like, we kind of, um, had a reputation for, um, you know, not always playing by the rules in terms of like when you were at different camps and stuff and, um, just like to have a good time. And so I think that was a uh, part of why it was so easy to feel like I belonged in those spaces, like outdoors backpacking and at scout camps and stuff. I would like run with my backpacking backpack on down a mountain because it was fun but I wasn't really exposed to the idea of trail running even at all until after college. So it's just like, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Like, I didn't even know it was an, a possibility or a, certainly didn't think it was a sport. And so um, it was really just after college when I was kind of uh, rock climbing and like, you know, that I don't know if, if either or any of you have experienced it, but finding um how you are active as an adult when there's no more like team sports structure, uh at least like you know, within the academic context. Um, so I think it was during that period of like dabbling in different things like rock climbing and road cycling and stuff that I found trail running um through one of my good friends. He just asked if I wanted to go on a trail run. And it sounded like so weird because it was like, what do you mean? kind of kind of thing. But uh it was just like a love at first um first experience, if you will. Like the first time I did it, I was just like, wow, this is so fun. And I was wearing like Nike freeze and basketball shorts and totally didn't have the right stuff. I didn't even have water or anything, but I learned uh, pretty quickly, you know, as all of us do, um, how to, how to succeed and excel, uh, and what you need to do to, to do trail running.
0: I thought it was really interesting listening to Adam talk about, you know, sports that, were logical for him to gravitate towards not that he was pushed or pulled or forced into any one thing, but you know, that truthfully, like the role models that he had, the people he looked up to, the people who looked like him were in football and basketball and baseball, right. They weren't, they weren't in water polo or tennis or, or golf quite as much. And so I thought that was really interesting. And just, you know, not having personally, not having an experience like that, like created a lot of pause for me as far as like, how, how do I feel about that? How do ha, like, have I experienced anything like that remotely in my life? And I'm wondering if either one of you have ever felt, you know, either drawn to something because of a representation or because of a specific role model or felt really out of place in any one, one, you know, be it career or school or sport in your life. Yeah.
1: Um, I have, I have a couple examples. Um, I think one in particular was, um, I was always just a bit more like sporty. I had an older sister growing up and she was just into different things than me. And so I always wanted to, I, so I gravitated towards um, things I was interested in, like playing sports with the boys at recess. And that's kind of where I made, I made my friends. Um, but I almost, I almost didn't like feel, cause there, there weren't like many people who, who were like me. So I always gravitated towards like the other, the other girls that were a bit more sporty like me as well. Um, but then it also, I mean, I, I felt that way when I was kind of it's less so now, but even getting into trail running, right? Like there, there have been women who've led the way. And I think those women specifically for me, it was Anna Frost and, and Emily Forsberg, who I could see myself in them. Not only that they were a woman, but they also looked like me. I felt like I was like, you know, I could, I could relate to them more. So that really, I think that's actually really powerful. I think that does matter. Um, in the other space, I'm sure Keely and both, and Ukraine too can relate to it. It was just in chemistry. I was literally, I majored in chemistry and In in college, and I was like the only one and the only woman in my advanced organic class.
0: Very male-dominated industry.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, Yeah,
0: that's very true. Yeah,
2: and I feel like I can definitely relate to feeling like an outsider, but I don't think I have any experience that puts me in his shoes at all. So Mm -hmm. I don't think I'll comment on that. But I do think that I was very lucky in the sense that as I grew up, like in the sports that I played, I saw direct role models. Like there was a girl that looked dirty blonde hair, was like six feet tall, went to the neighboring school and went and played division one basketball at Penn State. You know, like it was identical one for one. Like, oh, can I be that person? Okay, cool, I can. They are right there. <laughs> and I, I I feel like I took that for granted, right? To be able to have someone that's just so relatable that you have like a very concrete someone to, to look after. And I think Adam talks about this a lot in the sport of trail running specifically where, you know, that representation isn't there and And now, as we're seeing maybe a little bit more representation come on, we actually have to be wary about that visual or that representation because there's something that's called tokenism in the sport that he'll dive into for us. That's really, you know, where brands are maybe showcasing these different ethnicity groups um, just for profit or just to showcase that they are supporting this group without actually putting money behind it. Without and so actually supporting it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so Adam's going to talk us through tokenism and then how he's kind of, you know, navigated the trail and ultra scene as a, both a role model and through barriers to his own entry and to the athletes that he works with.
3: Tokenism in general is just being held up or um, used as an as a you know it, well in the racial context it often comes through ver- virtue signaling for companies or people um, and they want to show that you know oh well through our marketing materials or um, or whatever that you know we are in support of the black community or increasing diversity in trail running and they're using people, as tokens of that support, where in reality, perhaps they aren't really, um, you know making the financial investments um, in increasing diversity. It's really just a photo with a black model. That would be an example of someone being used as a token. Certainly, tokenism has been something that I've had to navigate and uh, kind of consider my entire life, whether it was in an academic setting or friend groups. Um, and, you know, professional trail running and trail running in general is no different. So, um, for me, it's really like case by case, you know, um, I, I think I always believe that, you know, whether or not I'm being tokenized, I look at each kind of, uh, instance or interaction, um, through the lens of like, okay, why ever I'm getting this opportunity, um, is this an is this is there a way for me to like raise awareness about um racial identity or for create more representation of multiracial black people in this sport of trail running and so to be honest like oftentimes i've said yes to things opportunities um to be represented in media or or otherwise that you know i do recognize like is perhaps like um perhaps i am being tokenized there's been instances like in my um running career where i'm i'm looking at an opportunity and thinking like mm, like maybe this is like tokenism but it's important for me to you know create representation and so if i say no to this you know shoot where they want to include me for this marketing material well, then perhaps they choose a white person. And then that's kind of self-defeating for like a lot of what I'm about, um, in terms of trying to increase representation in trail running, racial representation and diversity. So I really take it like case by case. Um, but there's a lot of times too, that I, I just say no, because I have a limited amount of energy, emotional and physical energy that, that I have to give. And so Um, I try to be strategic with like what I say yes to, and what I say no to, I think it's really obvious, uh, when you're being tokenized or people want to use you, um, when that's happened to you your whole life, like in different scenarios, like you can just, it's like you you read it and you just can see like, Oh, they're trying to use me, you know? So, and then you have a decision, like you can either kind of, um, take the opportunity smile and like, you know, further your, what you want to Um, or you can, you can say no, and that's a totally valid decision as well that, that I've done many times. So, um, yeah, but to be honest, Corinne, it's like, you know, I would be lying if I said like, I felt good about that or like, it was, um, you know, not a big deal. Like it, it pisses me off. Like oftentimes, like when I, when that happens, it's like really frustrating, you know? And, um, It's, uh, it actually ties into like what I would like to encourage folks to do at the end, but it comes from a lack of self-awareness on the, on the end of like the person who's extending this opportunity to you or asking something of you, it comes from a lack of their own, like, you know, racial identity awareness or like context about, um, these systems of oppression. And so that's, what's frustrating is like, you know, as a minority who's like often not on the privileged end of a lot of these systems. Like I've spent a lot of time like doing work, like on myself and in, you know, reflecting and um going through workbooks and having these kind of very um emotionally vulnerable moments, like talking about race, whether it's with people I'm close to or not. Like I used to do um DEI and social justice training at my previous job. Um So I'm having these conversations with white folks and it's like, that is so, such a big emotional lift. And so oftentimes when, when I feel tokenized or folks reach out and like, um, don't realize the nuance to what they're asking, it is a little bit like triggering in a sense. And, um, yeah, it's all part of it. (laughs) It's definitely hard to, um, not let the, um, the anger, like turn into like big time resentment or a, like chip on your shoulder. That's not productive for, um, yourself. Right. And your own like progress, uh, and the, and the people around you. So I think lots of folks have that in one way or another in their you know life and in their different identities. And so I'm, I think it's something we all struggle with to a certain mm-hmm. extent. So when I first started trail running, which was over five years ago now, like, um, so like not a really long time ago, but you know, it's been a minute. Like, I think, uh, I don't know, apart from the things that are like very obvious, like, you know, hydration packs have gotten a lot more sleek and, you know, people aren't carrying full-size water bottles around all the time. Like, um, it, I think, I, th- I really do believe that like, there is a shift that has happened from like this you know um this very homogenous um particular type of like middle-aged white guy that's like that is a trail runner and there there is a lot more um just representation on starting lines in terms of like diversity of age of people participating a lot more women in the sport which is really cool like it's just crazy to reflect like the first trail race i did like the woodside trail run in california like i don't know i don't even know if i remember seeing a woman running. Like at all or like on the start line or anything. So it's just like, that has changed a ton. Um, and it's really exciting. And I think, um, for sure, like in podcast media, um, you know, definitely podcast media, I, I was going to say video documentaries, but this is actually not the case. Like there aren't a lot of video documentaries about, you know, high level runners of color, like not really not a lot, but these, these are all like areas that are improving. It's like a, you know, this is an evolving like thing and so I've definitely seen it in a very pretty short time like 5 years like change a fair amount in terms of like physically what it feels like to be at a race, uh in terms of who's there participating and uh certainly in the representation in media um as a fan of the sport. I think taking a leap into the trail world for most people is probably a little intimidating regardless of your, your race or identity, but certainly for people of color, like it, you know, you do, you do look at running groups or races or, you know, race photography. And it's like, damn, that's like mostly white people. It's a little bit more scary because you don't see yourself in that. And I'm not going to lie. Like it is oftentimes, it does feel a little bit alienating a little bit, but the thing I would say that I really, really believe is that, you know, trail running and the fundamental act of like accessing these wild, beautiful places in nature is worth it. It's worth that little bit of discomfort and the periodic, um, you know, maybe feeling of, um, maybe in my case, like being tokenized or feeling like the only one on a start line or feeling isolated. It is totally worth it. Like I will be recreating out out in nature in these spaces like forever. And the great thing is like that we're all as a community, like having more and more of these conversations that um, address these ideas of like racial identity and different identities. And I think there's much more of a willingness to make trail running more inclusive and diverse as a sport. And so that's hopefully going to continue to progress and improve. But even if it stayed just as it is right now, like I'd really encourage anyone listening that's on the fence or even like a little skeptical. It's like the, the act of trail running in and of itself is worth it. There are barriers still for, um, people of color and, and, uh, people of different socioeconomic privilege for sure. Like, um, I think for me personally, like when I got into the sport, I was lucky that I had a friend who would just show me around the trails and I didn't really start like racing. I was just running on the trails in my community. And so the only real barrier there was like literally not knowing like where to go or like how to not get lost or like, do I carry water with me? Like literally something as simple as that. Um, or like eating while you run, right? Like that's something a lot of us have learned as we've done trail running more and more. Um, you don't just have to run with no calories, like you eat snacks and stuff. And so a lot of those barriers, I think are knowledge based. Um, but there are definitely barriers that I, um, know exist for athletes I work with, uh, and just friends of mine in the community, um, around access to trails, access to races. Um, there's, there's even some things like systemically that I think, most people, you don't even like consider it if it's not your situation, but like, you know, if you like in terms of socioeconomic privilege, for example, like if you're living kind of more paycheck to paycheck, you might be waiting to register for a race until you get paid and it might fill up, you know, and you're a black runner. That's like, oh man, I was really looking forward to this race because I can't travel to race. This is like the one race nearby me that I can do. Or, you know, I just had a runner recently. Who's like, an up and coming black runner, and he wanted to run at the u s a t f like colorado twenty five k champs and it was like that was your opportunity and you like missed it because of this stupid like thing right of like oh, you like we're waiting to get paid then it filled up then you couldn't get in and so I think like creating more inclusive systems like that really do just take like um creating leadership structures, whether it's like boards or RIDC like has some of these like committees in place but like resources for race directors um that or uh, other organizers that they can use to like really contextualize all of their policies and decision making so that we can kind of de- start to tear down and like remove some of those barriers that are unintended but are still um you know blocking people from participating as much as they might like in the sport
0: yeah so as someone who's you know crushing it on the trail and ultra scene, you're a respected coach in in our industry. Like you've you've cultivated this platform, and you talked a little bit about seeing seeing yourself represented in football players and basketball players growing up. And I'm wondering what it means to you to know that there are young runners of color out there who who see you and see you on podiums and see you at events and see themselves in you and see that like what does it mean for them to see that sliver of representation?
3: Well, it's uh you know, representation in trail running, uh, of diverse athletes to me is like really important. And I, um, not only try to model that personally, like with my own performance and involvement in the sport, but, um, in my coaching as well, like I try to support BIPOC athletes and, uh, conditionally offer sliding scale pricing and stuff like that, um, for certain athletes. And, you know, it, to be honest, like I don't hear oftentimes like who is, or is not um, feeling inspired or more included by the representation, you know, it's like the thing about, um, social media or like when someone snaps a photo of us on a podium, like we don't know what eyeballs that reaches or what the impact of that is. And so, um, it would bring me like so much joy to hear from uh, a young runner, uh, you know, uh, BIPOC or something that felt like they wanted to try out trail running, um, because of seeing me like that, that is really cool. I've had some adults um that that's happened to like at races and stuff like that, uh black folks who were like, "Dang, like I I actually started trying this or felt more included at this event because you came up and talked to me." And so um it means a lot, you know, it's it's always those small like acts of um kindness or openness um between people that I don't know, I always remember and I feel like make a lot of the sacrifice and um I don't know, the tough The tough day is worth it. So uh, it means a lot to me for sure.
0: So shortly after we recorded that interview, I actually went to listen to Alison Desir talk about her book, Running While Black, which is really, really good. And if you haven't bought it yet, you should go buy it. Um, I wanted to cry at times listening to her book reading. And I, I asked her about that. She works in the running industry kind of as a disruptor In a lot of ways. And I asked, you know, like how, you know, working as a person myself working in the running industry, like how can I, how can I like balance the like the dichotomy or juxtaposition of like tokenism versus like the need for visual representation, like racially diverse representation in the sport. And her response totally surprised me. And I think made me feel like I had actionable steps to move forward with. And, and her advice was that, the first time you do it, it's tokenism. The first time you offer, you know, you bring, you bring on someone who's racially diverse to a photo shoot or onto a team or onto, you know, onto a sponsorship deal or something of that nature. Like it, it is, in a, it is, it's tokenism. But if you continue to bring that person in, if you continue to give that person or people a seat at the table, if you continue to give them power, it, be, it, it, it moves away from tokenism to real like to real authenticity and to real representation in the sport, and so at initially, it, it like it's not something that you can necessarily avoid. And I think that to me was the thing. Like I was like, I have to avoid tokenism at all costs. I have to make sure I never put someone in that position. And I think having that intent and that meaning um, means that you're kind of going into it with the with the progressive view of eventually you're going to get it right. But it, it took the the pressure off in a way of like knowing that like initially it's going to be tokenism almost no matter what. And by continuing to fight and by continuing to make sure that person is welcome, welcome back in, you can actually create this like authentic representation in the sport. And that to me just like blew my mind.
2: Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah,
0: I mean, I think that's what I've been fighting with for a while
2: through our conversations with Ryan, all the way back to our conversations with Richard is. I don't know how to be the white female who approaches a BIPOC running group and asks them to join forces with mine. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels very tokenism-ish to me. And so maybe the answer is that I don't avoid that. And the the whole point is to embrace that and be okay with it being tokenism initially, because you need to take that first step. And if you don't take the first step, there's never going to be any merging of those two groups. It might feel a little bit superficial at first or a little bit tokeny at first, but then. It will evolve into something more genuine. Um, and then well, the tokenism You can't let gets- tokenism
0: scare you, mm-hmm. I think is the yeah. big thing because it, right. it can be authentic and it can move to something that's truly authentic. Right. And a lot of the like uh BIPOC and black organizers within within sport and other and other groups, like that's something that they've always welcomed in a lot of ways too. Like mm-hmm. um Allison talked a lot about like the Harlem. Um, run like run club run crew about how it was like it was never about them it was about everyone and it just happened to be like like organized initially by the BIPOC community and I thought that was like I think it's we put up that mm. we put up that barrier to like bridging that gap because mm-hmm. we're afraid of of coming off as unauthent- mm-hmm. unauthentic mm-hmm. so I just think it'd be less scared
1: mm-hmm.
0: I think and just keep trying
2: yeah it makes you need to a- think about doing some like self-reflection on your own, (laughs) which I feel like Adam talks a lot about in this next section. He talks a lot about how self-reflection can help you be more inclusive in this space and to actually encourage, you know, others to participate is like learning a lot about yourself and how you identify with different genders and ethnicities. Um, And he is no stranger to introspection. He has this beautiful piece he wrote for trail runner magazine where he just goes into the depths of his own mind during a race. And we'll link to that article here in the show notes. And it goes, a part of it goes as this, and then we'll transition to the Trail Society episode to have you listen to Adam talk to you through his feelings around this article. When you're deep into an ultra marathon and broken all the way down, do you fight back tears thinking of friends who got caught up, locked up, or passed away and cannot experience the beauty of trail running? Do you dress a certain way to try to seem non-threatening? Let's go and hear from Adam now.
3: That article I wrote for Trail Runner, um, describing that internal like monologue or dialogue, sometimes it feels like I have with myself is like, I don't know. That's that happens like all the time and has happened for a long time for me. And so uh, I I've heard from some that it resonates for them and it's like really um, yeah meaningful to get that feedback, but. I think what I would suggest um, and what would be my recommendation, you know, for any anyone listening to this, like regardless of your race or background or anything like that um, is, you know, I think we can all acknowledge that there's a lot externally that we can do, like as a trail running community, as race directors, you know, creating everything you said, athletes, uh, friends. But the thing I would ask of anyone listening, uh, if you're interested in you know, contributing or, you know, not sure what you can do is like engage in some self-reflection. And I'm actually going to hold up this little book I brought. It's been really impactful for me. It's called the racial healing handbook by Dr. Annalise Singh. It's a workbook. And so this is for anyone like black, white, anyone, uh, any kind of identity. And it's really helpful um to do kind of introspective reflection on your relation your personal relationship with race um particularly and i think it's only through that real willingness to reflect on your own uh relationship with race that we can all collectively like have a productive um conversation and create solutions that aren't uh riddled with blind spots and so that is what I would, what I would ask is like, whether it's the racial healing handbook or a different resource you connect with, uh, more like take that time to like reflect on your own. Um, and then I'm, I'm sure that through that self-reflection, like any kind of outreach you might do, um, to try and be an ally to someone or external kind of systematic change you might make if you're a race director or something like that will be much more well-informed. I used to work at the Monterey Bay Aquarium, which is a nonprofit uh, in Monterey. Really awesome. Uh, If you're in Monterey, you have to go. It's like the best aquarium in the world, in my opinion. Um, But I used to work in technology there. But in my, you know, and at the end, I was like the engineering manager for our exhibits team. But during my tenure of seven years working there, I think like five or six years, I was a member of the DEI committee at the aquarium, which was a group of like cross functional folks there who um would meet i think like every other week um and talk about dei uh, concepts content and um look at organizational policies at the aquarium and make recommendations and changes and so i had like many opportunities to unpack a lot of these um racial issues as they sh- like show up in the workplace Um, and then we would also create time for like personal reflection. And I had the experience of leading spearheading some, um, organizational changes. Like we changed our dress and appearance standard, for example, to be more inclusive and allow people to show up at work as their authentic self, rather than having to cover up tattoos or not have, you know, colored hair or things like that. And so, um, that was really like formative experience. And at the end of Toward the end of my tenure there, when the whole um, George Floyd moment happened, we actually kind of like bootstrap organized um, these uh, like racial equity and social justice trainings that the DEI committee that I was a part of actually facilitated. So we, um, you know, were trained by some professional like experts in that space. And then we facilitated these very, um, vulnerable and emotionally charged conversations around racial identity and social justice for like five day workshops for like hundreds of staff. And so as you can imagine, like that was pretty heavy duty and raw, um, especially being a person of color, like facilitating those meetings of mostly white people. Um, and so I, you know, you have to like do the work to to be able to facilitate it. And so that's part of where this like racial healing handbook recommendation comes from is like, I found a lot of meaning in that, um, diving deeper into my own racial identity. And I really found that through watching these, you know, many tens and tens and tens of people like go through these workshops that like most of the kind of like collective improvement that we made as an institution around like, DEI, like competency and awareness and fluency, like acknowledging and, um, bringing race into the picture at work, um, was around like introspection that we had done in these courses. And so that's why I make that recommendation so strongly is like, we have to like pause and like do the introspection before we can like go to solution mode, um, for how to make these changes at a policy level and trail running, I think. I think a lot of us haven't had the opportunity to like do that because it's still unfortunately like kind of a like early like thing to be doing, like examining your own racial identity like 20 years ago that like wasn't a mainstream thing to do. It's so true that um, all of these changes like come down to the quality of all of our collective relationships and the willingness and trust to like hold space for one another and like lean in and be vulnerable and say, Hey, like I might've like messed up and like said something in a way that, uh, impacted you. I didn't mean for that to happen. Like, I'm so sorry or whatever. Right. Like there's all of these big changes we're talking about making. You're so right. Like come down to, um, the strength of our relationships. And so what can white folks or the white community do? Like, I think a big part of it and I'll like model it here too. Like you know, is acknowledging your privilege. Like I have some amount of skin privilege because I'm not as dark skinned as some other, uh, black folks. And so that's some privilege that I carry around. I have some degree of socioeconomic privilege. Like that's something else I have. And so being able to acknowledge like the privileges we have is like part of it. Um, but I think like perhaps one shift, I think like people could make, and I, I even heard it in that conversation you had with, with Ryan a little bit, he spoke to it was this idea of like, try not to burden your, um, friends of color or like, you know, people in the, you know, LGBTQ plus community, like, and asking them like to solve these problems or asking them like, um, to help you do this thing or whatever. Like, I mean, obviously like, collaboration is important, but. I think like really taking the time to like do some of that reflection yourself. I think like, if we do that, we will have some idea. Like each of us will have some idea about like what we could do initially. And that way that lowers the burden on like people who are already like um, experiencing like uh, discrimination in some way or have trauma, racial trauma or other identity trauma, having to like also do the work of educating white people. Like that is like, uh, you know, tough. And I think the the thing we can all do, of course, as I've said, I'm kind of like a broken record now, but is like do introspection. But certainly, like, in terms of like on a practical level for running, like, look at look at your friends, like look at who you kind of keep company with. And if you have the opportunity at a race, or a group run, and you see a person of color, like, go up and talk to them, like that makes a big difference in terms of having folks feel included, like, slow your pace down and like jog with them. Um, if you see someone finish at a race, uh, that looks different than you go congratulate them and ask them how their race went, just treat them like a runner, you know, like, cause I think that's what we all want is to be like seen and valued and treated as runners because that's like how we all connect in trail running is, is, is that. And so, um, yeah, I guess that those would be like my recommendations. It's kind of been a, a journey for sure. And certainly like, um, The murder of George Floyd in 2020 was like really big for me, like confronting a lot of suppressed aspects of my racial identity and um, caused me to dive a lot deeper into some of the nuances um, of what it's meant for me to grow up
0: multiracial. I think one thing that really stands out with both ryan and adam is just kind of their their willingness to be vulnerable and their willingness to you know like immediately own up that they that they make mistakes as well and i feel like that brings that brings you into this sense of like being ready and willing to also do the work to to be self-reflective to be vulnerable to acknowledge when you make mistakes to acknowledge when you have privilege I thought that that was really, really interesting and, and very, very grounding. And I'm wondering if this has spurred any self-reflection on either of your parts.
1: I think there's a lot of, I mean, similarities to the conversations we've had with with Ryan even back with um, uh, with Richard, um, right? Kind of in, in the Strava piece uh, with um, um, Patrick Pressgrove as well. Um, and so, I mean, I think... Yeah. And it's, it's, it always makes me introspective of like what I can do on, you know, a daily basis or in my own community. Right. Cause I do think it kind of goes, goes back to that. Um, And yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just. I think it goes back to just like not, not burdening people like Adam or, um, you know, other people, but also just like taking responsibility on yourself to be, oh, like almost like a welcome parade. Right. Cause like we all think this sport is awesome. And so I think it's like, we want more people to feel welcome and that they belong. And so that, that's something that I can definitely do at like any run or race or community event that I'm at.
0: And I'd say like that nothing, no action is too small was kind of the other thing I really pulled out of that too, was that just like, it might seem really minor to go up to someone and and say hi, or to congratulate them on the race, or just to check in with them. Like, like we're all humans. Um, that's not a big action. Like you can make a big difference even just by like, I was out on a walk run today on a very busy path in Seattle because traffic was horrible to go to trails and like, Knowing that I like made someone happy just by like acknowledging their presence and like saying hi and smiling and being being a human and being a good human um goes a really, really long way in creating a welcoming community. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, because I think the best part of the trail and ultra running community or the trail and ultra world is the community, right? Like it's amazing. It makes you feel so loved and it gives you the motivation to get to that finish line. And so we need to be able to spread that to Everybody, and that's not a very hard task because it's like so amazing to be there.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Slamming. Slamming. Let's slam. Sorry, guys. (laughs) We're just rough transitioning here. We're making it through this rainy, gloomy, snowy day. Society Slam, my favorite segment of these podcasts. I feel like, in part, because you all make our lives delightful, sliding into our DMs or emails or wherever you find us, because sometimes. DMs don't work and that's okay. Um, but it's brought to you by Aura Ring. Um, they've got a new menstrual tracking algorithm that seems really cool. I know personally, I think I just noticed this recently um, that my 48-hour pred- prediction window has been really, really good despite being on a progesterone-based IUD and having a very light period for the most part. Like very, very cool. And I've been digging my sleep tracking. I like Hmm. need a sleep tracker. And it like, it, it pings me at 7 PM, which is like going to happen here in a couple hours. And I'm always like, Hey, get off my back, man. Like you don't know (laughs) me. Don't tell me bedtime's approaching, but then I'm like, Oh, right. Like winding down is important. Um, so it's been something that I've like really, I've really come to love recently as it's been very dark and very gray here.
2: Yeah. And I just love that they've now made the period of prediction, like mainstream on the app. And so yeah. it's right in so front have to and go center searching for it anymore. All of your body mm-hmm. temperature trends. Exactly. Mine has been super off this go around because I got really sick. Oh. And so I'm like, I can't tell if I'm supposed to get my period today or if it's just like my body temperature is so high <laughs> it higher than it normally does for the menstrual cycle. Being a lady. <laughs> and my so cool. readiness score is a 55. So oh, oh no, oh, no. That might be the lowest I've ever seen it.
0: It's cool. My heart rate variability didn't exist this morning when I woke up and I was like, oh, that's bad. I oh, don't know what's going on there. Um, yeah, it's been a time. Okay. <laughs> Hilly, I know that we're, we're buttoned up against your, your heart out. Gotta go party with Mr. John Ray. <laughs> we're not even, we're not even spoiling it. Cause this doesn't come out until after I know it's
1: great. I'm going to have him listen to this and he's going to smile. Um, but yeah, slam um, slam away. Slam away. so i really i don't have one but i wanted to take this opportunity to um i actually just came off of some run camps um and it's so cool because i think this is like a really cool way um to get i had a run camp um a few weeks ago in colorado and it was a really cool way, like there's some people who were just newbies into trail running and i think it's such a powerful way to kind of get into trail running and people from all different backgrounds and ethnicities so it was really cool to be a part of and um uh, so there's like a few more run camps coming up. So I just wanted to like throw it out there. There's some that are pretty far away, like in Costa Rica in February, but some other ones in the Colorado area and um, Palisade, Colorado in March and Leadville, Colorado in July. I've partnered with my a good friend of mine. Um, Scott Jones is becoming ultra. So you guys, I'll just, Keeley will link it in, well, it'll be in the show notes. Um, so if you want to check it out, I'll be at all three of those. And it's it's a cool way to come together and mm. learn about trail running. So, yeah. Mm.
0: I That's love fun. it. Keely, <laughs> Keely um, slam away.
2: So I have kind of one that pulls at my heartstrings. Um, oh no, mine's it's really just—is yours? Uh, is it the same?
0: No, probably not. <laughs> Would it that be hilarious if it's the same? It might again? be. Okay. What's yours? No, you go first. There's about eating disorder. No, not at oh, all. Okay.
2: Okay. <clears throat> cool. Um, so I got a, a message from a listener talking about, you know having really tough time finding a gynecologist that understands her situation and she's been basically dealing with an eating disorder for over 10 years oh. and has been f- trying to slowly get back to a normal body weight and has finally you know reached the outskirts of the BMI curve right like 18.5 on the dot and now found a new new gynecologist because they had to move and that gynecologist is saying that it's totally fine. She doesn't get her cycle, that she doesn't need to worry about it, that she's a normal BMI. So she doesn't have to worry about the weight. And they're very confused as to why she has these questions. And so really just a call to action to those uh, gynecologists out there and doctors out there that, you know, you got to find out the bigger picture around your athletes. And this kind of story doesn't shock me, but it also breaks my heart because Mm -hmm. this is not someone who deserves to be told that they're normal and they're fine. And that, that this is all normal. This is not normal. You need to be getting your cycle. And if you're not, then your medical staff needs to be working with you to help you get it back. And, you know, I had a really great opportunity with my gynecologist recently. I just got a new one. She asked me how I felt about fueling. And she also asked, told me that There are times where if I'm not feeling well enough while I'm training hard, I could lose my period. And that's not a good thing. That's the first time in my 30 Hmm. years I've ever been told that by any doctor. So Hmm. on one hand, optimism. On the other hand, not so optimistic. Um, But yeah, just a shout out. But we hear you. We see you. Um, I think you know that you deserve better than that and that you can shop around and and find someone who will listen.
0: Yes. Yes. And, and there hmm. might be some resources out there too, through like Opal or another, or some of the other organizations where you like can bring information with you into, into uh, doctor's offices about like being weighed, um, which you don't have to be, et cetera. Hmm. So there are things that, um, I think Opal might have some, if not, we can probably find some for you. And I'm trying to remember what I did last year or last year. Wow. Last, like two weeks ago for society slam, but, um, I don't think it's this one. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, and it's uh, a listener wrote to me and it made me cry. And I think it made them cry about just kind of like this reminder of like taking care of ourselves and how important it is. Um, you know, they were, they had a big injury and it took a long time to get back from it. And then now that they're back into the swing of things and like they are running really well, it's really easy to um, take more on and say yes to too many things and not take care of themselves and slip back into old habits. And I was like, well, this sounds familiar. Mm. Um, and that listening to me talk brought tears to their eyes. They literally parked on the side of the road, mid podcast to message me. It resonated deeply and reminded them that they need to stay and make space to stay healthy and be healthy. Um, and that is real right now, mm-hmm. like for, for so many of us. So, take space make space um don't slip back into old habits remember that you have to take care of yourselves we all need to hear that um so thank you to uh reaching out to us continue to reach out to us you can find us on basically every platform we're uh, we're incredibly searchable these days maybe more so than we should be but um slide into our dms we love hearing from you and until next time we'll see you out on the trails